with Alan Mosley. Guys, welcome back to the show for another episode of It's Too Late with Alan Mosley. And I'm here with the best producer in podcasting. It's Blake Osborne. Uh, no, uh, no, I, I'm not. <laughs> what? I, I'm okay. I, I'm kind of all well, right. I'm, trying, I'm, I'm trying to get hype. I'm hype. trying to get pumped. Okay. <gasps> Hyping. Hyping. That's okay, the okay. most, that's the, that's the greatest white hyping I've ever seen. In my hey life. man, it's the best I can do, you know. Blake, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, man. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing all right. Nah. I love the tie. The tie's, the tie's looking sharp today. Well, you man. know, this is this is my I do I like this tie as well. And believe it or not, uh, I only wear this tie now when we have a particular guest on the show. Oh, really? This is I, I don't like this isn't a Tenth Amendment Center tie. No, no. But I wear this tie when we have anything Tenth Amendment Center related. Okay. And we have the National Communications Director of the Tenth Amendment Center, Mike Meharry, is going to be on the show. Awesome. And, awesome. and now I know what you're thinking. That, that sounds special, but it's really not because this is like his seventh appearance. <laughs> I, I don't remember. I should have looked that up. But, you know. It's probably more than that. So you, you want to know when it is that I always remember all the like last minute important things for the show? When's that? When we start the monologue. There you go. That's yeah. when I remember them all. Yeah. I just, just now I remembered, I'm going to look up and see how many appearances Mike has had so I can say our next <laughs> guest making his ninth appearance, but I, I don't, I think we it's seven. I don't know. He, he's the unofficial third one of us. He's the, yeah. well, I mean, Rob's the unofficial. Okay, okay. Uh, well, so, he's the official third one of yeah, us because yeah, yeah. he's the webmaster. So Mike go. is the unofficial fourth one of us. There you go. Okay. I, I, I can live with that. When Mike comes on, we'll have to ask him if he feels comfortable <laughs> being identified as, as such. Have to see how he feels about that, right? Um, it's you know what I was going to say. It's been a crazy week. It really hasn't. And the only thing in the news that's really giving me any cause for concern uh-huh. is the fact that you now that the protests are starting to sort of calm down a little bit, they're going to ramp up COVID fever again. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you know, I really shouldn't even say that word. A lot of people on YouTube are saying that if you say certain words, particularly the beer virus, uh-huh. then you just automatically get throttled. And yeah. You're just not going to get any traffic. Well, there has been one thing. What? The, the murder sandstorm. That's been killing everybody's allergies over Tennessee. It's been an absolute nightmare. But I haven't had a problem at all. I, I guess I'm just immune to the sandstorm. I don't know. I ha- like I've heard people talking about it. I yeah. really haven't experienced it. I don't know. It's like that's a heron sandstorm, but I think that's what's been causing all our rain. So you know, real exciting. Has the sandstorm been causing the rain? You know how the seeding clouds works. You know, back in the day when the military used to fly over and they'd drop like little tiny particles in the in the sky, and that would cause the water to water droplets to form around the 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 particles, and that would cause rain. That's what they called seeding the clouds. So remind me when we get Mike on to ask him if you're crazy because you believe in chemtrails. <laughs> just, what's funny is the, the folks at home don't know this, uh-huh. but 
usually I don't wear any type of an earpiece or right. anything. And the reason is, is because even though it looks like, like you're in a different scene, you're actually like right over there. Like yeah. if I had, if I had the camera turned, they would see Blake waving through the window. Right. So I can literally hear you. I don't have yeah. to hear you through a right. headset. But I have to wear an earpiece when we have a guest because yeah. the guest is remote. And so I have to be able to hear them. I thought you were just going deaf. No, but Mike, yeah. Mike is not in tonight's monologue because right. I mean, because it's it's a monologue, mono right. one, but right. it's it's really kind of a duologue because yeah, you and yeah. I talk, so it's a, so it's not, but it's not a uh, it's not a trio log. <laughs> so Mike is not in the monologue, but I can actually hear Mike kind of snickering in the background because he thinks our show sucks so much. Yeah, he's whispering sweet nothings in your ear. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what. It, no, what it actually is is I I make a lame joke and I hear. <laughs> That's what that's what I'm hearing in my ear right now. Uh, so anyway, one other little bit of news before we move on to the rest of the show, because we we want to have the maximum amount of time yeah. possible to talk with Mike. Sure. He's going to talk about my constitution. Oh God! Is did you see where the mayor of Nashville is getting ready to mandate masks again? I did. Yes. But this time it's not going to be a oh, certain businesses have to wear masks. No, he wants to mandate masks for everyone in all public places. Yeah, I saw this, that. This long after the fact. like, And by the way, the data is showing that, I mean, deaths are down, 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 down. Yeah. Cases are up because more people are being tested. Right. But all the data is showing that the hospitals are not overwhelmed. There's the the completely normal amount of hospital beds that to be available during this time of year are yeah. totally available right now. Yeah. So there's no big run on our medical system due to the pandemic. Right. And yet we're getting ready to do lockdowns again. I really hope we don't. I really no. hope we don't do lockdowns again. But there's a lot of people calling for lockdowns again, even though there's no call for it. Right. And the mayor of Nashville is is getting ready to, you know what this means? I have to stay home. Yeah. Because I refuse to wear a mask. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm totally on the bandwagon of like, look, if you want to wear a mask, if you think that's going to help you, then I mean, who am I to judge one right. way or the other? But I'm just telling you, I'm not going to wear a mask. Right. And I'd actually, I'd actually had a little bit of an exchange with our friend Eric July uh, uh-huh. on Twitter uh, Eric has made the horrible, well, it's not a mistake. I, I, he's doing it on purpose, but, uh, there's a popular streamer named, named Ninja and he had made some political tweets, which by the way, the worst thing you can do if you're like a gamer or a sports person or yeah. even a celebrity for that matter, is just, just stay out of it. Like yeah. stay out of like political culture. It's like, it's just a terrible idea. So this, this, this streamer who only know, the only thing he knows how to do is play Fortnite. <laughs> is he started making comments just basically denigrating people who refuse to wear masks and they're stupid and and we really need to have we really need to have government step in and force people to do this. Sure. And so Eric July had just basically made some comments saying, "Well, there you go. He's an authoritarian POS because I don't I don't believe in using the guns of the state to force people to do things. Even right. if you think it's a good idea, then you do it, but I don't believe in forcing other people. And that's by the way, I mean we could have a whole debate on whether or not it's it's worth it at all, but I'm not even going there. I'm just saying if you want to do it that's fine, but don't force people. Right. And so of course all of Ninja's bots, like the millions of people that follow this kid that plays video games are now tweeting at Eric July, you know, calling him every name in the book. And and he's handling it really well. But the, the, where I had jumped in is I had just said this, like this whole episode is a great look at how 
the overwhelming majority of people never get exposed to viewpoints that are outside of the establishment narrative. Right. Like that's weird for us to say because we talk about a lot of different topics on this show and we obviously uh, cover things from a perspective that's not always the mainstream perspective. And and I think sometimes we, we have the mistake of kind of falling into our little echo chamber, our bubble. And in our echo chamber, we think, oh, well, of course, you know, we look at economics and we look at the free market yeah. and we, we value liberty. So we, we, we judge a lot of different actions, particularly by government, in, in those lights. But the overwhelming majority of people, not only do they not share those values and not judge things the way we judge them, but they are never exposed to those ideas. And they're never even exposed. So the point being is, is that when they are exposed to those ideas, when someone comes across their, their, their plate who has a wildly different opinion or, or outlook than, than they do, these people lash out. Right. They lash out. And in some ways, in some ways I understand it. In some ways I understand it because if, if you have been convinced of a view and and everyone in your circle believes that and it's it's not like it's not even debatable it's like it's just it's obvious to me that 2 plus 2 is 5 if you just know 2 plus 2 is 5 and everyone you know that you associate with says 2 plus 2 is 5 and everyone on TV is saying 2 plus 2 is 5 and your favorite musicians and celebrities are saying 2 plus 2 is 5 then it makes total sense that you would I mean, it, it's, it becomes self-evident. To you, yeah. it's a self-evident truth. So that when that person comes along and says, nah, man, it's two plus two is four, that person's a lunatic to you. And what's, and what's a shame, and especially in the social media age, is that when, when that person does come along that says something that is kind of a shake to your foundation, it's not enough to just say, well, sir, I disagree. Good day. That, that, no, no one talks that way. Everyone right. says, you know, well, what's wrong with you, Ar- retard? Ar- well, they would say R word. I would say retard. Mike would say retard too. I'm telling on him. He says bad <laughs> words. So we should have had our disclaimer at the front of the episode. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, one last quick thing before we go yeah. to the first commercial break. Do you, Blake, do you remember that we were talking about Beavis and Butthead like just the last week or yeah. two and how they used to have their little disclaimer? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and how like like just just kind of just their irreverent, just gross, retarded yeah. humor that was, you know, they're getting ready to reboot Beavis and Butthead. Wait, do you think it's going to be like all new cartoons or just reruns of the old ones? No, 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 no. They're, re- they're rebooting it. That means. You mean no. in today's day and age? That's not going to work, dude. No. I, well, I, I'll tell you how it's going to work. This is exactly how it's going to work. I think. Based on everything else we've seen in culture, I bet that they just destroy it. Like, oh, it'll be turn, horrible. Beavis and Butthead are going to turn into these two guys that, yeah, they're a little crude, but they come around and see and see the culture of millennials and Ugh. and Gen and Gen Z, and and yeah, they're going to understand that some of the things they said were insensitive. And I like just get ready for it, ladies and gentlemen. Just it, get ready for it. Nothing is sacred. Nothing is if sacred. They, if Nothing. they can come for Beavis and Butthead, they can I come know. for you and me. Guys, we will be right back after this break. Don't go away. If you're enjoying tonight's show, consider supporting the program by becoming a member of our Patreon. That's over at patreon.com slash Mosley.
So I was going to wait until, so Mike's going to join us for the viewer mail and I was going to wait until we do the viewer mail for that. But I think we should just go ahead and bring Mike in because I'm, I'm tired of hearing someone in my right <laughs> ear say, God, there he is. Oh, hello. Has it been hello. an hour yet? Jeez. <laughs> I was snoozing, man. That was, that was snoring that you were hearing. Oh, okay. <laughs> so today we have Mike Meharry, National Communications Director of the 10th Amendment Center and author of Constitution Owner's Manual, The Real Constitution Politicians Don't Want You to Know About, which we will talk about that a little bit in the next segment. So Mike, keep your peddling of your neo-Confederate rants till the next segment. We have more <laughs> important matters to attend to. Sure. Blake. What time is it? It's time for meme of the week. Oh, so Biden has the angel and the devil on his shoulders. The angel <laughs> says, "Say something stupid and grope a woman." The devil says, "No, say something stupid and grope a child." <laughs> <laughs> Hadn't he done both? Well, he of course both, he's do done both, both because time? he's a pedophile rapist. I mean, jeez. <laughs> I mean, you know. That's you know, funny. we like to say things how it is on this show, yeah. Mike. I don't, I don't know if you were aware of that or not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I had no idea. <laughs> okay, I'm just making sure. So I'm glad Mike is with us. So Mike is going to join in. So we're going to have a three-man question and answer period for this week's viewer mail. Let's uh -oh. pull up the viewer mail. So, Mike, this, this question is actually directed at you. So this comes oh, wow. from uh, Daniel, Daniel B., which we know who Daniel is, but we're going to protect his identity because who wants to be associated with this program? Daniel writes, Dear Alan and Blake and Mike, when you finish your book, will Mr. Meharry do the audiobook version? So, so I did the audiobook version of Meharry's most recent book, Constitution Owner's Manual. So when I finish my book, will Mike Meharry do my audiobook? Well, that really, we'll have to get my agent with your agent and I'll have yeah. to negotiate. Mm -hmm. I, I can't answer that question. <laughs> yeah. You'll just have to wait and find out. Yeah. I mean, that's what we pay those guys for, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> why, why would you and I do? I mean, that's, yeah, that's way below our pay grade. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I, that's, that's as good of an answer as I can hope for. Um, <laughs> so just, just to not leave Daniel hanging, the real answer is no, because Mike wouldn't be associated with the tripe that's going to be coming out of, <laughs> out of my book. So uh, Jeff writes, Dear Alan and Blake and Mike, when Mrs. Blake is mad at Blake, does he go to the barn to find a scapegoat? So I, I, I'll let Blake answer this, but I'm just going to cut in right here and say, Jeff, come on. <laughs> she don't get mad at me. Oh, oh, so she just never gets mad at you, does she? No, nope, because we're really good at working things out together because we know how to love each other. And well, everybody else needs to take a lesson on how to do that. So that, my friends, was the face of a liar. <laughs> That's <not> a liar. <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. <laughs> uh, so Eric writes, uh, Dear Alan and Blake, what is your favorite state? We'll, we'll start with Mike. Mike Meharry, what's your favorite state? Uh, Florida. I'm sitting in it right now. Sitting in it right now. <laughs> So, so what, what makes Florida your favorite state? Oh, so many things. First off, it's warm. Yeah. Beaches. Restaurants. Lots of restaurants. <laughs> diversity. It's, yeah. it's just a great place to live. No, no state income tax to boot. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, 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 it's interesting that you left that one for the last. Hmm. No, I agree. That's one of the best parts about it. 
you know? Well, I mean, yeah, but it just like, like, no, 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 go, go. Blake, you're doing a terrible job of managing the cameras, man. What are you, you talking leave, about? When I'm, when I'm <laughs> grilling Mike Meharry, you leave the camera on Mike Meharry. Mike, why did you leave the, t- the income tax one for last? <laughs> well, I don't know. Try not to be political. This is supposed to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, back on like episode 96, I think we decided this show wasn't going to be fun anymore. <laughs> oh, okay. So, so, I mean, <laughs> you forgot to send my manager that memo. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I know I don't have to tell you because you watch every week. I know you do. <laughs> so do. so Celeste, who is the number one viewer of uh, It's Too Late with Alan Mosley, writes, Dear Alan and Blake and Mike. Wait a minute. Wait what? a minute. How come I'm the only person that had to answer the question? What Of what's your favorite state? Yeah, well, nobody I mean, else answered It actually said at Meharry in the text. I didn't read that part out. But I mean, oh. I mean, the favorite state is Tennessee because it's just the best. <laughs> You know I'm how they spell? Do what? you know how they spell farm in Tennessee? Oh God! Oh boy! Go E-I-E-I-O. You're trying to you're trying to take uh, you're trying to take Andrew Avery and Jeff Johnson's job on this show as the <laughs> as the official pun master of the program. So anyway, Celeste writes, "Dear Alan and Blake uh, and Mike, what do you usually order at Waffle House? Uh, Mike, what do you usually order at Waffle House?" Grand Slam, eggs over medium, there sausage, grits, plain waffle with nice. syrup and butter. See, a, a, a real connoisseur doesn't even have to think about it. It's just like that. So I always get a uh, bacon, egg, and cheese sandwich, triple order of hash browns, well done. Okay. I want them crunchy. Yeah. What well about done. you, Blake? Not smothered, covered, all that sort of stuff? No. Have you guys ever had the steak? actually pretty good you know they yeah. they're like one of the world the country's leading seller of steaks i heard yeah i believe it their it's steaks insane. are amazing huh really yeah i i, I don't know have that a steak at waffle house bro like compared to like steak and eggs man yeah well i mean yeah but compared to like an actual steakhouse i don't know yeah i mean i i mean i guess i believe it i i can't you can't discount waffle house no. <laughs> uh our our friend suzanne sherman writes dear alan and blake and mike when putting on underwear, is it left leg first or right leg first, or both at the same time, jumping up and down when you pull them up for effect? So, Mike, I just want to apologize to you in advance. These are the types of questions we get from our viewers. Haven't we had that question before? No, she no, she asked shoe, and then she asked pants. Now she's uh, on the underwear. Oh, okay. So when putting on underwear, left leg first or right leg first, or both at the same time? <sighs> I don't even know. I mean, I know I don't do both at the same time. Probably right leg first, I guess. I don't know. Really? I could I could try it try it out. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. We're yeah, gonna yeah, go yeah, to yeah, when yeah. we go to break. We'll we'll have well, Mike will try it out. We'll we'll see what happens. So I mean, I mean, I do put I do put my underwear on both legs at the same time because I mean, your underwear don't have huge sleeves to slide up and down. So it seems to me like it's technically both at the same time. But I don't jump up and down for effect. I feel like that's <laughs> something that women do to fit into their clothes that are too small for them to fit into. <laughs> Not that I'm saying Suzanne would ever do such a thing. I'm just saying it's re- she really only has herself to blame for sending in these these types of questions. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, Clay Davis, Clay Davis writes, dear Alan and Blake and Mike, he put and Mike question mark. I'm not sure what that, <laughs> I'm not sure what that, and Mike, what was the first music album you ever bought with your own money? Am I going first? Yes. Paradise Theater by Sticks. Ooh. I was in oh. about eighth grade. Huh. 
How about that? Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Blake, what was the first album you ever bought? <sighs> Dang. I'll get back to you. I got to think about that. Wait, no, no. You know, it was probably something from Phil Collins. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. How about, oh, you already did. Yeah, okay, so you. Huh. Uh, Room for Squares by John Mayer. There you go. That was the first nice. one I bought. Um, yeah, because I'm not a boomer like some people on the show today. Whoa! Okay, okay, so Sherry Voluntary writes, uh, Dear Alan and Blake and Mike, how does one support ending state monopoly on violence while also distinguishing themselves from supporting the commies who co-opted the BLM movement? So first of all, again, I want to apologize. Sherry didn't get the memo that this is supposed to be a fun show. We do the political (laughs) stuff in the next two segments. We don't do the political stuff on this segment. Uh, But we'll go ahead and answer it anyway. So Mike, how do you you support ending state monopoly on violence while distinguishing yourself from people like uh, the BLM movement who say some of the things like defund the police, but you know they don't really mean it? I uh, I don't know how to answer that question. Well, I guess what I would say, the way, the way, the way that I handle things is, um, I don't shy away from applauding people when they, when, when their movement says and does positive things. It's kind of like a, this, look, I'll answer the, I'll answer the question for Meharry since I know, I know what the TAC answer would be. I think the TAC answer is, is that, um, it's an issue by issue basis. And if you have an ally on a particular issue, then you're willing to work with them. But that's true. But I mean, but if the but if the BLM movement on the next day says, okay, well, now that we've now that we've defunded the police, let's go ahead and rearm them and start, you know, killing all the people who love liberty, then I'm pretty sure that you would then back away from them on that particular issue. (laughs) So so I mean, I don't know. I I respect people who can work with different groups and organizations on a issue by issue basis. But I know that I'm sure that that's tricky. Would you say it's a good answer? That's a good answer. Okay. Well, uh, well, the camera's going back to you because now, now I want your version of that answer. No, I think that's absolutely true. I don't, you know, I think you have to have your 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 principles and philosophy. People have to know what that is. You know, you mm-hmm. have to lay that out there. <clears throat> but then, when it comes to your strategy, you're absolutely right. You're you're working with, <clears throat> excuse me, whoever you can work with to advance those individuals. So we work with a lot of people on the left when it comes to surveillance. We'll work with people on the right when it comes to guns. We don't necessarily agree with everything the ACLU, you know, stands for or does, but we can work together on that issue. Um, but I think we always hold those, those broader principles up at the top. This is the last one before the commercial break. And, and Mike, I think you and I have talked about this one before. If you were to leave the U S after a collapse, where, what country would you consider going to? Oh, I, I'm. I would be inclined to try to find a Caribbean island to go to, um, <laughs> for oh. the same reasons that I love Florida. <laughs> I know. I was just about to say, oh, a Caribbean island. Oh, shucks, it's going to be awful <laughs> there, you guys. Right. Um, I, I think my wife and I have talked about Mexico. Uh, we have the language limitation, but mm-hmm. um, it's close. That's probably the yeah. the biggest. You know, you don't have to you don't have to get on an airplane to get there. So yeah. So you want to do you want to do the Robert Higgs thing where you go? Well, because I could definitely live where Robert Higgs lives. I'd be perfectly happy there the rest of my life. See, I don't know if I could be like obviously like so he lives down in Quintana Roo, which is mm-hmm. way down there. Like you're really getting closer to Central America, right? Than, yeah, it's than, it's 
it's kind of the southern part of the Yucatan. Yeah, and uh, I mean, the pictures are beautiful, but I know that when you're that far outside of civilization, then uh, creature comforts are not quite the same right. as, as we're used to. I, I'm a man who loves his air conditioning. And I don't, I don't know if I could live in the sauna that uh, Robert Higgs lives in, and you know, and and checking to see what my water count is every morning and and stuff like that. <laughs> um, so so you let me know how things go from there. I'll just I'll just go to uh, one of the Caribbean islands, you know, with all the money we make doing this. <laughs> right. Let's be real. We're going to Windsor. Yeah, I know, right? Well, no, let's be real. We're going to stay here and hide in the attic. That's what we're, we're going to do. Uh, guys, we will be right back after this break. Don't go away. Your ad could be playing right now, reaching thousands of potential customers. Sadly, it's not, but it could be. Find out how to be an advertised sponsor for It's Too Late with Alan Mosley. Email us at alan at funnybroke.com. Welcome back to the show, everybody. So again, our guest today is the National Communications Director, Mike Meharry. Mike, how are you Hey! So, Blake, go ahead and pull up that graphic right there. So, he, Mike most recently wrote Constitution Owner's Manual, The Real Constitution Politicians Don't Want You to Know About by Mike Meharry, read for you by Alan Mosley. If that sounded enticing to you, you can actually now get the audiobook. The audiobook is now for sale. Yay! It only, it only took, God, three months? Is that how long? <laughs> right? From the time that we actually completed it to the time that it went on sale. Yeah, the, the, the submission and vetting process over there at ACX isn't exactly streamlined, but they, hey, it's up there. And actually, I'm, I'm kind of pleased it's, it's selling quite well. I guess people are waiting. There are certain people who want audio versions. So there it is. You know, I, and and I'm actually right there. I, this is totally off topic to what we're going to talk about, but I'm I'm a big audiobook guy. I, I really because I don't I don't have a lot of time that I spend just just sitting in a chair, you know, by the lamp or with a book or in thought or whatever. I'm all I'm always kind of like going here or there, or I'm I'm on the computer or I'm working on something. And so like commute, like commute is so perfect. So I, you know, I'm, I'm driving an hour or so here and here and there between the apartment and the studio here to do the show. And that's the perfect time for me to knock out a couple of hours of whatever, whatever book I'm reading. If that's, if that counts as reading, which I think it does. I mean, it's by and large, I think the audiobook industry, I mean, I'm sure it's doing really well. And I've, and I've enjoyed a lot of great audiobook versions of excellent books. I'm actually just getting ready to finish uh, a second. I had read the road to serfdom before, and now I'm listening to the audiobook of the road to serfdom. Um, and I, and I've really enjoyed it. So I'm, I'm really happy to hear that the sales are going well. Not that we have any invested interest in that whatsoever. I'm just genuinely happy for you. Uh, Mm -hmm. but anyway, so let's, let's do a quick little redux on, uh, constitution owner's manual. So you're somebody who you, you speak often in, in kind of constitutional language, because that's something you work with a lot, obviously with the 10th amendment center. So, so what was the motivation specifically for the constitution owner's manual? I wanted to do something that covered 
all of the, not all of, because there's so many, but a lot of the biggest fallacies that surround the Constitution. And it's distressing when you start doing work in the constitutional realm and realize how few people actually understand anything at all about the Constitution. And that includes most law professors, lawyers, and politicians. And, uh, you know, as, as you go along, you get all of these. Uh, these misinterpretations of things like the supremacy clause and the general welfare clause and uh, the necessary and proper clause. And I really wanted to do something that was accessible to the general public that's not in you know, some law book form uh, that people could read and understand the basics of the Constitution. Because in a lot of ways, the Constitution is pretty simple. It was not, it was not written in such a way that you have to have a Harvard Law degree to understand what it means. On the other hand, it's not something that you can just read, you know, pick it up, the copy of it, and and get the whole thing without having some of the legal background. So, so really, I just wanted to do something that was kind of in lay terms that the average person could digest relatively easily, that was interesting to read, and that would help people understand what is supposed to be the law of the land in this country. Now, I, I, I've seen several posts from you. I saw one, I think, just this morning where you were talking about how um, – we, we see opeds and articles from alleged uh, constitutional law scholars, uh, constitutional law professors at universities, which I think was the one you were referencing this morning. Yep. And it just shows you why that's, those are the people we should not be going to for our knowledge on the Constitution. So why is that? Because they don't learn anything about the Constitution itself. They start in law school with Marbury versus Madison. You know, which was a number of years after the Constitution was actually ratified. They don't talk about the ratification process. They don't talk about even the the framing of the Constitution. And that's where you find the meaning of any legal document. What was the intent of the people who embraced it? If, if you and I enter into a contract, the meaning of that contract is going to be grounded in the way we understood it at the time that it was written. And that you have to have that to have a stable contract for it to work. There has to be some set foundation, and that's where we find it. Law schools don't teach that at all. They start way beyond the actual Constitution, and, and they built all of this case law that really, in a lot of cases, is completely detached from the original meaning of the Constitution, or, or even in some cases, the exact opposite of the intention of the Constitution. So uh, lawyers are the worst, and it's sad because most people think, oh, lawyers, they must know about the Constitution. They learned about that in law school. They don't. I mean, a lot of times it's – it's uh, you know, their constitutional law, they'll spend half a class on uh, the actual drafting and ratification and maybe, you know, 20 minutes on the Federalist Papers, and then they move on to all the case law. So uh, huge disconnect between constitutional law and what the Constitution actually means and says. So we actually talked, you and I, about your book, which it was more recently published back when we did episode 100. You were our big guest for episode 100. We talked about Constitution. I was. So instead of, instead of rehashing different chapters of the book, uh, we're going to play a little application game today. Oh, fun. So, so we're going to talk about a few of the big, a big uh, news cycle stories and, and how the Constitution applies or can guide us, or, or probably more aptly how it's been totally ignored or, or not being applied properly. So, so how can the Constitution Owner's Manual help us understand the lockdowns related to the pandemic crisis or, or maybe how they've not been handled particularly well? Well, this answer will frustrate a lot of people, uh, I think, on, on both 
ends of the political spectrum because you've got a lot of people who want there to be a national solution. People on the left, progressives, you know, they're mad because Trump hasn't done more from the national federal Mm -hmm. level to deal with the pandemic. And if you look at the delegation of powers in the Constitution, uh, there aren't any uh, pandemic powers. So really, the federal government should be very limitedly involved, if at all. Uh, most of it should be at the state level. But this frustrates a lot of people, too, because the governors have been awful as well. So they want the federal government to come in and, and put their hand on the governors and make sure that, you know, the governors do it the right way. Uh, that's the 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 kind of the dirty side of federalism. It allows all 50 governors to make decisions based on the interests of their own state, their own political society. So uh, we're going to get different approaches and some people aren't going to like some approaches that some governors take, but it's not the federal government's job to come in and, and put a one size fits all solution on there. One size fits all solutions never work anyway. Uh, So really when you get down to it constitutionally, it should be a state and local issue. It should, not be a federal issue at all. That said, I'm not trying to excuse the draconian and, and tyrannical uh, actions that some governors and mayors have taken. That That's not to excuse that at all. It's only to say that it's not the federal government's place to police them. So I'm not, I'm going to play devil's advocate here a little bit because, I mean, obviously we, we agree on this, but you, I guess what I could say is you could understand the position of someone, and, and, I, and I know that you don't know verbatim every single state constitution and where they, but we do know that a lot of state constitutions very much are, are mirrored or reflective of the U.S. Constitution. It's, it's, it's you know, it's, it's state constitutions tend to not overwhelmingly differ from one to the next to the next. And so I guess what I can say is that one could understand an individual, let's say you've got a guy in Wyoming. And this guy in Wyoming uh, doesn't like the way that Wyoming is handling the lockdowns. He doesn't think they're constitutional. But, he, but he's thinking, well, our state const- it's, it's unconstitutional to our state constitution. And so, you know, so our governor is in the wrong, but the courts are siding with the governor or they're not even taking up the case. And so one could see their frustration is that, well, th- this, is un- this, is, this is injustice, right? This is unjust because we... So we have this federal constitution and I want it to save me because our state constitution also says this is wrong and they're getting away with it. So, so you could understand that person out of frustration and desperation, then running to the federal level saying, Hey, come help me out because my state is oppressing me against even the own, their, their state's own rules as well. So I, I guess, I don't know if it's devil's advocate so much as I'm saying at I, I feel like it's helpful to understand other people's arguments, even if we don't agree with them. And I can yep. understand someone saying that, well, if I don't like the way my state is doing things, especially if I think that it's illegal, even within the confines of my own state's laws, then if they're getting away with it, where do I turn? A lot of people's answer is turn to the federal government. Sure. I understand that impulse as well. I think it's short-sighted. Uh, especially given the fact that the federal government almost never sides with the individual and almost always sides with the expansion of government power. And I can point out all kinds of situations, you know, particularly if you look at the application of the Fourth Amendment, uh, that has been just expanded and expanded and expanded by federal courts. A lot of times because people have sued in federal court, uh, having to do with some issue that was actually at the state level to begin with. And when that happens, you end up with bad solutions being imposed on 
all 50 states, all 325 million people in the United States. Whereas if you have Wyoming's governor doing something crappy, which I, you know, I don't think they do anything in Wyoming. (laughs) Uh, You know, New York, uh, Governor Cuomo, he's doing all kinds of awful things. Uh, At least they are constrained to the people of New York. Not, and you know, not that I don't feel bad for them, but, but please don't run to the federal government and make it so that that ends up being the law of the land over the whole United States. And that's just my general philosophy is that centralization of power is always going to be at your detriment at some point. And I tell people all the time, if Donald Trump can make a governor lift some type of uh, you know policy that they don't like in their state, then Donald Trump also has the same power to mandate a policy and – not to mention the fact that once Trump is gone, you know, if it's Joe Biden, Joe Biden's going to have that same power as well. And I think it's another important thing to remember is that the politicians come and go. Your guy may be in office today. He's not going to be in office for tomorrow. Uh, and so the, the people come and go. The powers remain. And when you start, uh, you know, dumping more and more power on these individual offices, you have to remember that somebody bad is ultimately going to be sitting in that chair and uh, you know they're going to be able to use that power that you thought was doing something good. They're going to eventually going to use that against you. So I'm I'm always I always defer to decentralization of power, even though it's not perfect because all governments suck. All right, we're going to move we're going to move on to a different topic, uh, although somewhat related. Uh, so I have it listed as the militarized militarized police. Um, but we're, but we're seeing a lot of police issues in general, of course, referencing the riots over, over the George Floyd killing, but it's in it, but it's really George Floyd was kind of like the match that set it off. But I mean, there's many, many examples. We've talked about Breonna Taylor on this program, Ahmaud Arbery, Duncan Lamp. There's, there's, there's many, many examples of, of police brutality, of, of unjust killings and, and lack of oversight. But, but, but combining that with the militarization of police. So, so how, how does the Constitution Owner's Manual tell us to deal with uh, a standing army the founders told us to worry about? Yeah, again, if, if uh, you know, so many things that have gone sideways in this country, you can trace back to federal power. And the militarization of police is really rooted in the war on drugs. And if you go again to Article 1, Section 8 is where you'll find the list of powers that were delegated to Congress, the things that they're supposed to be legislating on. Uh, You will not find anything there about prohibiting a plant. And, you know, people will try to argue with me about this sometimes. And I'll just raise the very simple question. If you had to have a constitutional amendment in order to have alcohol prohibition, why was it suddenly uh, okay to have marijuana prohibition without a constitutional amendment? Well, the answer to that question is it isn't. They just decided they're going to ignore the Constitution altogether. With this drug war has come the militarization of police. And with the militarization of police, uh, we're seeing the type of uh, excessive violence and, and violation of individual rights and institutional shift in policing. I talk about this all the time. I say we've turned protect and serve, which was the original idea of police. We've turned protect and serve into command and control. When you dress police officers like soldiers, when you arm them like soldiers, when you train them like soldiers and tell them that they're in the middle of a war, why does it shock us when they act like soldiers? So this is all traceable to 
this unconstitutional war on drugs, this expansion of federal power, and uh, and the results have been unsurprisingly bad. So on a, on a related topic to that one then, um, and we did an episode about this a week or two ago, uh, qualified immunity sort of entered the national consciousness, consciousness there for about, it, you know, it had it 15 minutes of fame. Right. And it's, it's one of those things where most people have never heard of it before because most people would never, never need to know about it one way or the other. But, but qualified immunity is something that you're starting to see a little bit of a push. I, I don't think it's going to happen because when does government ever do any – when does government ever limit itself or leave itself unprotected? Um, but qualified immunity, the, the, the bench-given concept that one cannot sue one's oppressors basically to put it in a, in a different light. Now, I know you did some writing recently on qualified immunity and, and how, how we got it and what it is. I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna open the floor to you to talk about it for a little bit, but I'm willing to bet that qualified immunity is not in the Constitution. Yeah, exactly. This is another great example of what happens when you centralize power. Uh, you know, police powers, the 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 regulation and direction of police departments. That was something that was explicitly talked about by a number of people during the ratification debates. And it was specifically said, this is a power that will remain at the state level. Instead, we now have a nationalized police state in effect. And qualified immunity is part of this. This is judicial overreach 101. This is exactly why I don't want the Supreme Court deciding that uh, lockdown measures in Kansas are unconstitutional because you end up with these doctrines that are applied across the entire United States that empower government at every single level. And that's exactly what this qualified immunity doctrine does. It was made out of thin air by the Supreme Court over a series of, of court cases. Uh, and there's absolutely no indication at all that anybody at the, at the national or federal level is planning on fixing this. In fact, the Supreme Court had several cases that just came up where they could have addressed it and, and rolled it back a little bit. And they decided, yeah, we're not going to even bother to hear these cases. We're going to let let the qualified immunity defenses stand. In some pretty egregious cases, in, in one case, it was a cop who was shooting at some kid's dog uh, that's a shot, police shooting at dogs. Uh, and, and the dog was not even being aggressive. And the officer apparently didn't do well in firearms training because he didn't hit the dog, but he did manage to shoot the 10-year-old kid in the back of the leg. And uh, the courts have upheld all the way through the federal system that uh, that's perfectly okay. You know, he, If you need to shoot a non-aggressive dog in the line of duty and accidentally shoot a kid, you're not liable. So that's where we are with qualified immunity. And uh, the good news is we are actually starting to see some pushback at the state level. Colorado just passed a law that creates a, uh, a state cause of action where an individual can sue under the state constitution, and it is specified in the law that qualified immunity is not a defense. So uh, Colorado's enacted this. New York just introduced a similar bill uh, that, that will be considered. So we can kind of bypass this federal system uh, by, by creating a state process that eliminates this uh, dumb defense. So we're going to try to bring everything full circle really quick before we go to our next break. So let's let's say hypothetically qualified immunity goes away. But even even if it doesn't, we're we're let's let's say the lockdown era is coming to an end. Are we getting ready to see an avalanche of lawsuits resulting from the lockdowns and and from abuses of authority nationwide? 
Yeah, I think there are. Um, I'm I'm really familiar with what's going on in Kentucky because I'm still connected with a lot of uh, folks there, and uh, I know that there have been there were multiple lawsuits simply filed on the whole issue of shutting down churches. Um, but I also happen to know that they just uh, a lawsuit was recently filed in state court challenging the entire uh, governor's program. Uh, basically that he was abusing his power and exercising executive power that was never, uh, never authorized. So, you know, if this is going on in Kentucky, I'm certain it's going on in other, other states as well. I think you'll see a lot of lawsuits, both at the state and federal level. Um, I have a feeling the federal cases will end poorly because I have a feeling that the, uh, federal courts are inclined to, uh, side with the whole concept of emergency powers because you know the government's going to be able to do stuff when we have an emergency. But I think there might be some more success in state court uh, based on these kind of overreaching executive uh, executive powers based on the state constitution. So we'll see how it plays out. It'll be interesting. But yeah, I think there's, there's going to be a lot of, of legal wrangling over the next several years over all of this. All right. Well, Mike is going to stay with us for one more segment. Guys, we will be right back after this break. That's what I'm talking about. So unfortunately for us, we haven't done an episode, me and Mike, when I say we, we haven't done an episode of sports ball in like three months, but in our defense, there hasn't been any sports. So it's not like, it's not like we've been lazy. It's that there has been no sports to talk about, but ladies and gentlemen, that streak ends tonight. It is time for sports ball. Attention, armchair quarterbacks and shower thought GMs. It's time for this week's episode of Sports Ball with Mike Meharry and Alan Mosley. So you have a sports story, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. I'm just making sure. I mean, sports are coming. I swear to God, Mike, if football doesn't start on time. Ugh, I know. Did you see where they like they were going to cancel the Hall of Fame game? Oh, I, no. I did see that. Yeah. Welcome back for another episode of Sports Ball. I am your host Alan Mosley, joined as always by my co-host, and I can't, I don't have. Well, it's Mickey Mouse, isn't it? That's on your shirt. <laughs> it is Mickey Mouse, yeah. and and Mickey Mouse connoisseur Mike Meharry. Mike, how are you doing? You know how happy I felt in my soul to hear that sports ball music. I know, I know, it felt so good. It, well, I mean, we're, we're sitting here, it's the 1st of July, so in theory, like in a couple of months, we should have like a full slate of games and stuff. 
I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm going to let you hit us with the first sports story, story of the day, but I'm going to hit you with this first. I'm making my prediction now that college and pro football goes off without a hitch as normally scheduled. And the reason being is, and, I, and I'm, not, I'm not counting preseason, I'm just, the regular seasons. NFL and NCAA college football regular seasons start on time and are as normal. And I'll tell you why, because football is king. Well, I hope you're right. I, I do. I'm not as optimistic as you. No. No. Well, well, tell, well, well then give me some other sports news then, because without football, I'm just nothing, Mike Meharry. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess the, you know, kind of the, the first one to really get going, the first, of course, we've had NASCAR, we've had golf, but that yeah. doesn't, that doesn't uh, really MMA, count you've as had much. Had, had a little MMA, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, we've had European soccer. So there have been some sports, but. But the biggies here in the United States, baseball, basketball, football, and uh, did I say baseball? Yeah. You know, the, the four biggies, we haven't seen yet. So it looks like the first one to get rolling is going to be baseball. Uh, they're actually opening up spring training 2.0, uh, I think this week. And mm-hmm. uh, we're going to have 60 games. And um, yeah, so have you heard the, some of the rules though, that the players are going to have to live under? I have not. I saw the, all the controversy of them going back and forth about what what this season would look like, how many games they were going to play, how the payments. Because, I mean, let's face it, that's the big question, right? right. Who's getting paid and how much? I saw all that. I did not see the actual rules and precautions. Yeah, well, so, I mean, just as far as the game goes, it's, it's not going to be too different. They're going to do some alignment things that are going to be different. So, for instance, uh, the Tampa Bay Rays being in the American League East, they're going to play a bunch of games against the National League East. They're trying to keep things kind of regionalized in order to minimize travel. So the uh, out-of-league games will be in, in kind of the same region. So that's kind of interesting. They're going to have a DH in the National League this uh, for this kind of experiment with that. Um, and uh, I guess the other thing that's kind of interesting, instead of doing extra innings, uh, the old-fashioned way where you know just start a plain old extra inning. They're actually going to start with a runner on second base. Um, so that would be some interesting strategy. But, but the rationale behind it, you know how retarded a lot of the coronavirus stuff has been, right? Mm-hmm. Well, they've imported the retardation into <laughs> the Major League Baseball rules. And, and so, I mean, you think, well, we need to make sure the games don't go too long. You've played nine innings of baseball. What difference does it make if you have 10 as far as the, the health and safety thing goes, you know, mm-hmm. and there's a lot yeah. of stuff like that, 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 that's, that they're going to be doing. And it, for a major league baseball players, and you know, of course, nobody's going to cry a, a baseball player, any rivers or anything, and they're going to make plenty of money, but uh, you know, they're used to traveling in style, eating in style, going out. Um, none of that's going to be going on. They're going to be limited to the restrooms. They're not allowed to have buffets. They're not allowed to go out for meals. And then there's just some weird crap. So like if a pitching coach wants to show the, uh, the, the pitcher, a grip, the coach has to have his own ball. They can't share a ball. I, you know, it's, <laughs> wait, wait, hold on. Give, give me that one more time. If a batting, a pitching coach wants to show the pitcher a grip. He okay. has to have his own ball. He can't use the pitcher's ball. He has to have his own ball, so they can't hand the ball to each other. As if these people aren't like in the <laughs> locker room, right? in the dugout, exactly on on the plane, on the bus. Yeah. So I think the hardest thing is going to be that uh, they're not allowed to like chew tobacco or spit tobacco uh, sunflower seeds. Like 
I'm pretty sure we'll see a baseball player's head explode. Yeah. Fighting is going to be strictly off limits. So if oh. anybody, no arguing with the refs. Um, yeah. So it's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to social distance while playing baseball, which I think they should just let him go. It's, it's, it's all quite silly, but I guess that's the price we have to play, pay to have a little baseball here uh, in, in a few weeks. Well, I'm going to hit you with my sports story of today. So everyone has probably heard by now, Cam Newton, who was shown the exit out of Carolina, has yeah. now signed a one-year deal with the New England Patriots. Now, I will admit, it's not a bad deal for the Patriots in the sense of it's very heavily incentive-laden, and mm-hmm. it's not going to, if, if ultimately, if Cam can't go, if he's not 100% from his injuries, or if they decide to just stay with Jarrett Stidham as a starter this year, they can show him the door, and it's not going to cost the team a lot of money. With that said, I've gone on record before saying I'm not a big Cam Newton fan. I don't, I don't think that he is going to perform well in the Patriots system. No. Um, I don't think that he is the type of accurate downfield thrower that they're going, that they tend to need in New England. And I don't, and, and by the way, I don't think they're going to completely change the, the playbook for, just for him. I, that's right. something I know that New England's not going to do. Um, but I'm actually, I'm actually going to turn this back over to you before, before we move on. I think this is a much more difficult question. Who will have a better season? Assuming that they're both the starters for 16 games, who has a better season this year? Cam Newton with the Patriots or Tom Brady with the Buccaneers? Well, I'm, you know, we haven't gotten into the season yet, but I'm Mm going to start off as an optimistic Buccaneers fan. Tampa Bay superfan Mike Meharry returns. I'm back. Yes. I, I am inclined to agree with you. When I heard about the, the Cam signing, my thought was maybe they're signing him kind of as a backup in case Stidham stumbles uh, and, and then maybe to throw in some wrinkles in the, in the offense, you know, some situational things, kind of the utility knife like they use uh, Taysom Hill out in New Orleans. But from what I'm hearing, it sounds like they're, uh, they're kind of planning on starting him. I, I think that um, – I think Brady is better suited for the Bucks' offense than Newton is for the New England system. Um, you know, taking away the, the age factor for Brady, I think that he's going to perform pretty well in this offense. I think that that he's got, uh, I think he's got better receiver weapons around him in Tampa Bay than he's had in New England for the last several years. Um, so I, I'm, I, f- I feel like Brady's got a, a better situation around him than uh, than Newton does in New England. Now, I, I will say this. Uh, I think from New England's perspective, it's um, Cam had a lot of injury issues. And, 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 it, and it would be fair to say that, that though I understand the business decision of Carolina moving on from him, the fact that he was not quite 100% and the fact that they sort of kind of nudged him back into the starting role when he was still not 100%, which is, I mean, I mean let's, like, do you think Green Bay would risk losing four, five, six years of Aaron Rodgers' prime by forcing him to play when he wasn't 100%? I don't think they would. Yeah. And so I don't think that Cam got the best shake in the world in Carolina. I'll admit that. Um, so from if you're New England, you're thinking, well, if the Cam Newton who led the Panthers to Super Bowl 50 shows up in New England, then, I mean, we're, we're on track, right? Like, we're favorites to win the AFC East. We're, we're right back where we want to be. But... The other side of that token is, as I would say, the Cam Newton that led the Panthers to Super Bowl 50, that wasn't the rule. That was the exception. Yeah. For his career, he has not played at that level for 
you know, four, five, six, seven years in a row. That has not, not been his career trajectory. Now, on the other hand, with Tom Brady, we know that historically Tom Brady has been an elite quarterback, but Tom Brady wasn't exactly, when we last saw Tom Brady, Tom Brady wasn't looking so hot getting smoked by the Titans and throwing a pick six. True. That's true. So, so which play, I guess, I guess ultimately that question can only be answered if you know, is, is it going to be injured cam or Super Bowl 50 cam in New England? Or is it going to be vintage Tom Brady or is it going to be playoff washout Tom Brady in Tampa Bay? Yeah, I think, you know, looking at Cam, you look at that Super Bowl win. That season, they basically used Newton like a running back. And there's no way they can – he can't do that. I don't think he's physically capable of repeating that. I think Brady is not the Tom Brady of even five years ago. But I do think Brady is serviceable enough, can still get the ball out, can still find the the receivers. And given the weapons that he's got around him – uh, I think I think there's a better chance of of Brady being Brady-ish than there is a chance of Cam being Cam-ish. If that makes sense. Yeah. With that said, I'm going to go on record here. I mean, this is technically it's too late with Alan Mosley, but I'm going to go on sports ball record. I think both of these moves are a disaster. I think the Tom Brady signing in Tampa Bay is a bad move, and I think the Cam Newton signing in Carolina is a bad move. Well, I tell you one thing, they sold out the stadium in in Tampa with the Brady signing. Of course, nobody's going to be allowed to go to the games, but <laughs> Well, speaking of disaster, you know what else was a disaster? I do. Watch this, folks. This is the fans arriving at Raymond James Stadium to watch Tampa. Yes. Oh my goodness. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Here it comes, the greatest line of sports testing. Watch your ability to roll. When she hits the ground, Ooh. nice roll. Nice roll. That's what they teach you in jujitsu, Joel. That's what they teach you in jujitsu, Joel. Roll. Jeez. Use your shoulders. <laughs> Hopefully nobody was hurt, including the horses. I just hope our fans at home realize we're the not showing this spill. ironically. I actually think this was the greatest calling of a sporting event of all time by these two guys. Young ladies falling off the... For <laughs> our... Uh, all right, get that up. For our It's Too Late viewers who who are not sports ball fans, I have to ask the question I ask every time I see the clip. What the hell is all that shit in the in the wagon? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you would think the only use of the wagon is that, right? They go out on the field <laughs> right. and they just go back in the dugout. Or no, whatever. they're what doing something else stuff? in the wagon. They are doing something else in that wagon. But, all right, let's shake it out, guys. It's time to get our solemn faces on. It's time for In Memoriam, where we remember a player, a team, a coach, whoever, whose sporting light was cut tragically short. Mike, who are you remembering this week? Well, I'm not remembering so much a who. It's more that I'm remembering a, uh, a time. Go on. I remember a time when we had fans at sporting events. <laughs> and I think it's going to be a long time before we have fans at sporting events. At least packed stadiums. We're going to have social distancing at stadiums. And it's weird. It's just weird. Even like watching the, uh, I watched a little bit of the Talladega race at uh, uh, NASCAR. Even watching NASCAR without people in the stands was weird. And it's really hard to imagine. They're going to they're gonna do these hockey playoffs with uh, empty arenas. 
picturing a it's it's going to be like watching my men's league game except played with NHL players. Yeah. It's just weird, and I don't think I'm going to like it. And it makes me sad. I, I'm remembering what was the subject of the last couple of sports balls we did. I'm remembering the XFL. Yes. The XFL, which we had high hopes for as being a uh, – it, it's, not, it's not an NFL alternative, by the way, because it wasn't going to compete with the NFL. It was going to be an NFL offseason uh, football fix for us right. football fans. Springly. And by the way, it was doing well. Yes, it sir. actually was – they were putting butts in seats. This was before social distancing, of course. <laughs> right. They were selling tickets. They were getting reasonable ratings on TV. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that they were you know, sweeping their time slots per se. But they were getting reasonable ratings on TV. Vince McMahon, it certainly looked like he had done what was necessary. He had, he had made the networking. He had, he had invested the money that it would take to truly have a second NFL or not NFL, a, a professional football organization mm-hmm. in the United States. And, and, it's, and, and I'm remembering is it's such a shame because it, it was not a victim of a lack of interest. It wasn't a lack of, of, of want for spring football. It was absolutely a victim of the shutdowns, which we actually discussed earlier in the episode. Yep. So this is actually a, a perfect segue. I'm, I'm going to have one good rhetorical question for you in our finale right after we take our last commercial break. Don't go away. Like our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash funnybroke. You can follow me on Twitter. That's twitter.com out Alan M. Moser. You can subscribe to our YouTube page. That's youtube.com slash funnybroke. So Mike, last one will get you out of here. So with the shutdowns, with the impending lawsuits, with, with the XFL's horrible demise... Do you think that the unseen economic effect of this will be that investors will be reluctant to go in on uh, opportunities such as that because of the whims of government to be able to shut down the economy? Yeah, I absolutely do. And, you know, there's an economic term for it, regime uncertainty. Mm. And uh, 
usually it's referred to uh, you know individual regimes, but now I feel like we have uh, like government uncertainty. The entire system is uncertain. If they can just arbitrarily shut down everything uh, for whatever crisis they manufacture, I think it is going to create a lot of reluctance and a lot more conservatism. Uh, when it comes to investing and, and launching big projects and, and whatnot. I think the economics of this are going to be really far-reaching, far more than anybody even realizes now. The whole V-shaped recovery, uh, not going to happen. We're, we're going to be dealing with the ramifications of this for decades. Mike, if you eat chili with tortilla chips, are you eating chili or nachos? Yes. Guys, thank you so much for listening to another episode of It's Too Late with Alan Mosley, and we will see you next week.